Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop, but here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same, but if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen. It's Tuesday, August 21st. It's been a deal-heavy month across the consumer and retail space. So we're going to take a closer look at two of those deals, one announced and one still in the works, both of them in the restaurant industry. And it's my pleasure to welcome a brand new guest to Industry Focus today, Mr. Nicholas Rossellillo, who's joining us via Skype from Spokane, Washington. Um, Nick has been a Fool.com contributor for over three years. Great to have you with us, man. Hey, thank you, Vince. Uh, this is your first time on Industry Focus, um, so I think a quick intro is in order so our audience has a better sense of who they're listening to. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your investing journey? Sure. My investing journey. Uh, so, I was a weird kid growing up. Um, <laughs> I worked all through high school, uh, pushing the lawnmower around, around the neighborhood. I washed dishes, bus tables, um, and I saved all that money. Uh, so my parents told me um, I should probably open up a brokerage account. So um, as a happy graduation gift to myself, I walked into a local brokerage firm with a check in hand and I left with a job. That's how I kind of got into investing. Awesome. And, uh, here I am. Here I am today. Awesome. I'm curious. What was your first stock purchase? Uh, my first Individual stock purchase was Visa shortly after they debuted back in 2007, I believe it was. Oh, wow. Good choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah it, it didn't uh, work out too bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, again, very pleased to welcome you to Industry Focus. Um, I want to get the discussion started. Um, so, as I mentioned previously, it's been a deal-heavy stretch in consumer and retail. And even just yesterday morning, uh, PepsiCo announced the acquisition of Israel-based SodaStream for $3.2 billion uh, in their hopes of pretty much pushing further into uh, healthy beverage offerings. And SodaStream reported second quarter results on August 1st. Stock jumped 26% following that report. And then the $144 per share offer from PepsiCo adds an additional 11% premium to last Friday's close. Overall, the rally and End result for a lot of SodaStream shareholders must be pretty sweet, as the stock was trading at less than $60 per share this time last year, and not even one-tenth of the buyout price that PepsiCo offered in early 2016. So, Chris Hill covered the deal yesterday on Market Foolery. Um, check out his discussion as they go into a lot more detail than we have time to do here. But for today, um, we have restaurant-specific deals in mind. And the first one announced last Friday was for Zoe's Kitchen, uh, the Mediterranean-inspired fast-casual chain. So, this isn't a really big deal, $250 million. But the Zoe's Kitchen journey since its 2014 initial public offering has been kind of a bumpy one. And it serves as a very appropriate case study, I think, that's representative of the ups and downs that a lot of restaurant chains have experienced in the past several years. So before we dive into the Zoe story specifically, I want you to hop in here, Nick, and paint the backdrop for us, because there's a lot of forces at play kind of coming together to influence the direction of not just restaurants, but a lot of other consumer-facing industries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, consumer goods in general, uh, specifically of the uh, discretionary nature, like like restaurants, uh, a lot of it has to do with technology. 
uh, new technology like uh, video streaming is keeping people at home. Um, lots of new uh, options in the entertainment space. Um, also, changing consumer trends has affected restaurants. Uh, lots of consumers uh, focusing on, on healthier options, um, higher quality options, uh, more variety, and of course, uh, all of that without sacrificing uh, convenience. Um, so there's been this push for things like uh, digital, digital ordering options, uh, delivery, new delivery options, both from restaurants themselves, and then also third-party delivery, uh, think like uh, Uber Eats. Um, and then in, in light of all these uh, changing trends, the restaurant industry hasn't helped itself much either. So since, since 2008, post-financial crisis, uh, the number of restaurants uh, in America has really uh, really exploded and fast casual, uh, fast casual segment, higher quality food, but still in a, a quick, uh, a quick setting um, has really, has really blown up. Uh, what's happened is uh, they've overexpanded though, uh, specifically starting in late 2015, early 2016, uh, that became apparent as all these new locations started to cannibalize foot traffic from, from one another. Uh, so we've had for over two years now, um, same store sales growth has declined. That's sort of leveled off this year. Uh, but a lot of that's been because of price hikes uh, on the menu. Foot traffic uh, growth continues to be elusive so far this year, uh, according to industry group TDN2K. Um, foot and that's across, now- that's across the, the restaurant industry, correct? Yeah, the whole, across the whole restaurant industry. Yeah, foot traffic down 2% still this year. So, um, then you add in other things like uh, heavy discounting that comes into play when, when you have your, your foot traffic down at your restaurant. Um, wages uh, are on the rise. Food costs are on the rise. So uh, really difficult environment for restaurants the last couple of years. Absolutely. So again, you mentioned a lot of uh, different kind of forces coming into play there. And you uh, listeners, you'll get a sense of how that all plays into the Zoe story as we get into more deta- detail here. So, a private equity firm, Brentwood Associates, they acquired a large stake in Zoe's back in 2007 when the chain operated less than 20 restaurants. And um, by April 2014, when the stock debuted at $15 per share, uh, Zoe's had expanded to over 110 locations. And on with that IPO, uh, shares popped 65% on their first day of trading. And not too long after that, by mid-2016, so about two years later, uh, the stock had nearly tripled from the IPO price to about $40 per share. And at that time, uh, Zoe's was still expanding to new markets. Uh, it was quickly approaching 200 restaurants. And management uh, envisioned doubling the store base to 400 uh, locations by 2020, with an ultimate goal of as many as 1,600 total locations. But as quickly as the stock rallied, um, it was again another two years later. Uh, so it's 2018 now. We have shares trading below nine dollars, and the current buyout price that was offered was just 12.75 per share. Still good for a 33% premium over the last closing price before the deal announcement. So Nick, you've been following Zoe's for uh, quite a few years. Um, I'm Kind of curious what your take is in terms of what happened and why the stark reversal in terms of the restaurant's outlook in just you know that two years' time. Right, right. A uh, couple things at play. So Zoe's is expanding. Um, so management has uh, has delivered on on that initiative. Uh, they're up to 261 locations. Uh, that was uh, per the announcement that they they last made on Friday. 
Um, so a lot more stores than they had a few years ago when they when they debuted as a public company. Um, but a lot of those those new locations, uh, Zoe's has kind of kept in its home market. Uh, Zoe's is still a 261 restaurants is still a pretty small chain, um, and they're also a regional chain. Uh, most of their locations are kind of in the southeast quadrant of the United States, with just a handful outside of that area. Um, as far west as, as they've made it is a um, a few few restaurants in Arizona, a few in Colorado. Um, so rather than go nationwide with the concept, they they management chose to uh, keep it keep it in the southeast. And there's been some dispute over whether that has been a good idea, as uh, maybe they've they've started to step kind of step on on uh, each other's toes in terms of the store locations yeah, on, yeah. Their, on on these locations uh, these locations toes. So they're kind of um, stealing sales from themselves essentially. And what do you think about the idea that? Uh, in terms of the rapid expansion pace, right? Because they've gone in just, uh, what is it, four or five year period, they've essentially doubled their store base um, multiple times. And with that, uh, I know that management has spoken before uh, when they initially started running into weaker results, how the newer restaurants needed more time to kind of develop their business. get their feet beneath them and, and and so that they could see stronger results. But that doesn't seem to have panned out, right? No, not yet. Um, so again, going back to this this last report from, um, from Friday, uh, Zoe's is still posting uh, negative, negative same store growth, uh, down 2.4% so far in 2018 compared with last year. Uh, that's on, on top of a 2% decline in 2017. Um, so, yeah, the existing stores are, are not doing well. Um, in addition to that, uh, management also said that they've identified 30 underperforming restaurants um, in the quarter that they're they're basically just going to write off as a loss. They're they're never going to get their investment back in in those locations. And uh, the company took a, a 16.3 million impairment charge in the second quarter. Yeah, and again, that that speaks to kind of uh, the struggle we're seeing here across the restaurant industry um, with mm-hmm. the overexpansion here. Um, you know, the growth as always was seeing initially was really strong. It surprises me still how quickly results turned for the worse here because you know at the end of fiscal 2016 Zoe's reported its 28th consecutive quarter of comparable store, comparable store sales growth and then um, those comps had been slowing from high single digit levels earlier in that year to below 1% but then from 2017 on 5 out of 6 quarters have been negative for their comps and this is in a situation like Chipotle where there's this obvious roadblock or mm-hmm. a catalyst for the decline in results um, it was really Kind of these, uh, you know, broad industry headwinds coming to play, um, and that, in terms of the stock itself, um, you know, the decline that we've seen that tends to happen when a stock rallies on really hot growth expectations at its peak. Zoe stock was trading at over 350 times earnings, um, plus very thin profitability. So next up, we're going to take a closer look at the acquisition, the buyers, and then the outlook for the new entity. 
Support for The Motley Fool and Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days. It's causing a lot of anxiety. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process. Here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Again, that's rocketmortgage.com fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. All right, so let's move on to the deal now. Uh, we have a little bit of this backdrop, this context for Zoe's, uh, where it's come from since its, de- uh, its IPO in 2014. So, just over four years as a publicly traded company, it's being taken private again. And at first glance, it's kind of an odd situation because Kava Group, the buyer, is a smaller chain with only 66 restaurants to Zoe's 261. And I'm a huge fan of Kava, which has over 15 locations around DC alone. And you'll catch a lot of fools grabbing up by to eat there. Um, it's really the buyers, I think, that make this such an interesting transaction. So, can you tell us a little bit about the story there, Nick? Yeah. So, Kava Group came in uh, with with an offer of uh, $12.75 per share for Zoe's uh, to take the company private again. Uh, that values the company at $250 million, uh, below the, the debut IPO price that you mentioned earlier uh, for Zoe's investors. So, uh, for long-term investors, probably not a lot to be happy about here. Um, however, given the uh, the report on Friday and, and seeing that uh, Zoe's numbers continue to deteriorate, um, things may have been uh, about ready to get worse before they got better. So this could be some uh, short-term reprieve for investors in the company uh, with this buyout press or buyout press release. Um, and it's also interesting too. Just this morning. Um, several institutional investors have come out and actually said that they think that this 12, $12.75 uh, per share price is too low. Um, so part of this deal is that uh, another suitor can come in within the next month and, and offer offer a higher bid for, for Zoe's. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if someone else uh, does come in and, and say, hey, we actually think this this company is worth more. Uh, there's more, more potential uh, than... Than this twelve dollars and seventy five cent share price that's been offered so far. Yeah, and I'll add to that. So this go shop period for Zoe is about thirty five. It's a thirty five day period where they can basically go out and seek other buyers and potentially higher bids for the company. Um, an interesting kind of development in terms of this deal, but on the other side of that, in terms of this deal value and who it, who might be really happy about that. You know, we have. Uh, you know, on Kava's side, uh, its CEO Brett Shulman, he's going to take the reins for the combined company. They did not have the uh, funds to come up and make this deal by themselves, and so they are also getting a big equity kind of infusion from Ron Shake, who's taking the share- chairman position. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because Shake was uh, the man essentially behind Panera Bread, former CEO. Uh, 
That company was bought out last year. And since then, he's formed uh, this fund, Act 3 Holdings. They're focused on finding these niche opportunities in the restaurant industry, in consumer-facing industries. And when it comes to uh, kind of the restaurant fast casual space, Mediterranean Mediterranean cuisine definitely seems kind of like a ripe uh, niche opportunity for them to uh, jump on. And you've managed to combine here two of the most popular names in this space between Zoe's and Kava. And I think having Shake's guidance is going to be a major positive for Kava going forward, given his experience growing fast casual businesses. And I know you mentioned uh, previously when we were prepping for the show, um, People or investors not being too pleased with the buyout price since Kava is coming in at the absolute lowest point, essentially, in Zoe's trading history. Uh, on the flip side, the value there, um, you definitely see that for Shake and Kava. And um, at least from what I've seen, and I was talking with some fools about this too, the number of candidates that we could think of putting in a better offer, a better bid for Zoe's, it's very slim. Um, you know, it would essentially be a tuck-in uh, because you know not exactly a lot of other um, restaurant chains in this Mediterranean kind of niche that 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 can really do this. So it would have to be a completely new addition, essentially, for a bigger chain. And again, the prospects for that, um, I think it's great to have the option. I'm curious to see whether any bids actually materialize. Um, so, uh, yeah. final point. That's the golden question right now. Yeah, who, yeah. Can, who can do it? Exactly. Uh, so, final point, Nick. Uh, I'll ask you this: If this deal goes through in its current form, um, what do you think is next for Kava and Zoe's? I know it will be a private entity um, outside of kind of the the public market's view. But what are? I'm just curious what you think some of the levers are that Shake and Shulman might pull to bring Zoe's chain specifically back to growth. What can they do? Right, right. So, so Shake obviously has a lot of uh, lot of experience in growing a a national brand, a successful fast casual brand. Um, so that's probably going to be a point of emphasis for for Kava and Zoe's. Um, between the two, a few a little over three hundred total locations, but still only in twenty four states total. So, uh, still lots of room for for growth uh, across the country. Um, and then obviously shoring up those existing Zoe's locations that uh, that are kind of confounding investors with those those quarterly losses uh, going on going on two years now. So that's probably the two going to be the two areas of focus is is uh, taking the brand uh, national, getting more exposure out there to consumers, and then figuring out what's wrong with the actual business itself right now that uh, that consumers are um, headed headed for other other pastures. Okay, so uh, last thing I mentioned, uh, then that's covered in the release too, is that uh, at least at this point in time, Kave has mentioned that they do intend to keep Zoe's as a distinct, separate chain, maintaining that brand name, uh, since it, it does have uh, at this point the bigger base and probably larger recognition. So um, we will follow up uh, on the deal uh, once that. Uh, once that go shop period ends and see if things close in their current form. Uh, but we're running short on time, I want to make sure we have at least a few minutes left to talk about our second deal. And this one is still kind of running in the rumor mill. Um, it's in the early discussion stages, but the target is Yum China. So Asit Sharma and I touched on the strong results that Yum China has been delivering since it was spun off from Young Brands in late 2016. So this is the largest restaurant company in China with about 
8,200 stores split between its KFC and Pizza Hut banners, as well as some small restaurant concepts. Um, Yum China uh, would make for a much larger deal. Its current market cap is around $13.5 billion. So that explains why the um, the alleged or the rumored buyers at this point uh, include a f- kind of full uh, posse of companies or firms. So they include China Investment Corp., uh, which is a sovereign wealth fund, Hillhouse Capital, which is a private investment firm, um, pretty notable as an early backer of Tencent and JD.com, and then Primavera Capital, which already has a minority stake in Yum China, and then some additional private equity players. So this is another company, uh, Nick, that you've been following since inception. And on one hand, you have KFC. Uh, which enjoys leading market share among chain restaurants and a management team that ultimately envisions 20,000 locations as their end goal for the Chinese market. And on the other hand, Pizza continues to struggle weak comps, declining profits, and even KFC is losing some of its allure among certain demographics, demographics in China. So, what do you think are the most pressing issues and also uh, the big opportunities for Yum China right now? Yeah, pressing issues. Um, so China's China's a different animal from from the U.S. market. Obviously, uh, China's middle class is still growing and developing. Um, so ultimately, this is this is not so much a um, uh, a story of like declining same store sales like like Zoe's is, but more of uh, how how many locations the company can actually grow. So you mentioned KFC doing well, Pizza Hut not so much. Uh, the company also has access access to the Taco Bell brand. It only has three so far, um, all of which are in Shanghai. So there's a lot of different routes they can go to get to that 20,000 total stores in China uh, that they ultimately foresee uh, having. So that's uh, that's really the issue um, with Yum China. Of course, Pizza Hut has been a drag. That's kind of caused some weakness in share prices as of late, as it uh, as it underperforms. Pizza Hut's kind of this. Um, it's a higher end chain there, right? Higher end chain in China, yeah. It's kind of like uh, marketed as like an upscale dining experience, uh, if you can believe that. <laughs> Over there, um, the other thing that's happening is um, same same as here in the U.S. I think actually the U.S. is maybe kind of echoing what's already been happening in China as far as uh, the digital movement, also the delivery movement. Most of the world's uh, food delivery sales actually occur in China, and it's not slowing down. It's still growing by double digits. Um, so like KFC, for example, 13% of, of sales were delivery last quarter, and that number is still growing by double digits every quarter. Um, so uh, that's kind of the other thing that's been happening as the company's trying to work in more delivery. That's a way for them to control their profit margins as they grow this massive New store base over over the coming years, um, but again, weakness in some of the brands I think has caused some uh, some weakness in share prices and and thus the uh, the private investor interest now in the company. Yeah, I'll, I'll add that uh, is a kind of interesting aspect of uh, the operating environment for Yum China and the competing restaurant chains really uh, in that region in that. Uh, delivery is really big, but also tech, uh, kind of the technological capabilities and the infrastructure at the restaurants. Um, mobile pay is is extremely common there, far more common than it is in the U.S. Um, kiosk ordering, things along those lines, are not as foreign to consumers there, and it's it's to them it's a perk and it's something they expect to see in a lot of their dining experiences and. 
uh, something that blew me away, um, and I think we talked uh, that Austin and I talked about this last year, is the kind of loyalty programs that these two chain, major chains have uh, within Yum China. So KFC and Pizza Hut, you know, they boast together. I think at this point over 150 million members, and it just just a massive base for the company to work off of as they try and improve their operations, um, kind of revive uh, or rebuild the Pizza Hut brand, kind of the positioning of where that goes. And you know, Taco Bell, three stores, right? Not yeah, you know, not even really a blip on the radar at this point. But if they can manage to grow that out, definitely a big part of their growth vision and the strategy. So, last point before we sign off, um, if the potential buyers. That we've talked about all these private equity firms, the Sovereign Fund. If they manage to come together and make a deal happen for Yum China, I'm curious what you think they bring to the table specifically that can help Yum going forward in terms of writing the ship for certain brands or just growing KFC or whatever it may be. What do you think? More than anything, it's it's probably just access to capital. Um, so this is this is more than more than double the number of restaurants the company currently has that it wants to build out in the years ahead, um, and that costs money. So, probably quick, easy access to capital to make that happen is uh, the biggest thing they bring to the table. Um, outside of that, part of the reason for Yum China spinning off from its former parent Yum Brands uh, back in 2016 uh, was so that it had more flexibility to control its menu, uh, to adapt to the, uh, the unique market that is China. Uh, versus um, the market here in the U.S., all of that has already happened, and the company has has shown uh, the value in, in doing that. So, uh, r- probably just the access to the capital is what is what would be the uh, the compelling compelling reason for the company to go private. Well, on that second point, though, I think that's interesting, um, and I've seen uh, some reporting that there is, uh, I guess, some. Uh, f- um, Blowback from consumers in China uh, regarding you know what are generally seen as these American brands, and with that in mind, uh, having a sovereign fund, for example, like CIC buy-in, adds potentially an air of, I guess, legitimacy um, and supports kind of uh, what can be a very nationalistic or patriotic consumer. I think Asit discussed that previously in his coverage of the company and how that can add uh, that additional um, kind of vetting. For the brand and restore its popularity with KFC or Pizza Hut, whatever the chain may be within the country, and being something else that, for example, a consortium like this can help bring to the table um, with a lot of these investors based in the Asia region. All right, so um, that's all the time we have today. We will be following up on both these stories uh, with Zoe's. Um, as a go shop period ends, where that goes, and then the Yum China story, whether a deal is announced or not. Ultimately, uh, with Yum China, uh, the company's playing a market with incredible growth potential before it uh, even begins to approach essentially the saturation and penetration of uh, regions like North America and Europe. So, Nick, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, thank you, Vince. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based only on what you hear during the program. Blah. Blah.